Mommy did a great job. We're glad for her and all those mothers that sang so beautifully and all the ladies that were serving in that way this morning. I hope that you came this morning uh, with your offering to the Lord. Sometimes, well, I didn't bring a lot of money. Well, if you brought yourself. I like the song uh, from the poem that says, What can I give him? Poor as I am, if I were a shepherd, I would bring a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. But what can I give him? I can give him all my heart. And I hope that you brought your heart to the Lord and uh, you've given it to Him. You've trusted Him as your Savior and you're trusting Him not just to save you, but to help you each step of the way because we need that. If you're able, I would ask you to join me in standing this morning as we read from 1 Kings 19. You can turn over there and stand with me when you find it. And we're going to read a few verses together this morning as we begin our preaching time. We're so glad that you're here and looking forward to taking time to look at God's Word this morning. I'm thankful that God's Word has all the answers that we need, and we're going to see some of that this morning here in 1 Kings chapter 19. Beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life as one of them by tomorrow about this time. Remember what's just happened? Uh, Elijah just stood at the top of Mount Carmel, and he prayed, and God sent fire from heaven, and then they took the prophets and priests of Baal, and they executed them, and God has just won a tremendous victory. And then Elijah prays and God sends fire from, or fire, he had already sent the fire, he sent rain down from heaven and God did this amazing work. And then right after this, Queen Jezebel makes her threat. So what does Elijah do? It says in verse 3, and when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And said, notice what he said here, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. I'd like to preach to you this morning from this phrase that Elijah said, It is enough. It doesn't matter where you're at in your life, but either you have come to a point like this, or you will most likely come to a point where you will look around and you will say, It is is enough. I've had enough and I'm ready to quit. What are you going to do when it comes to that point? Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Lord, help us as we look at your word. Because I think for some, they've come to this point already. There may be somebody here this morning who's ready to quit. They've come to the end of themselves. They're about ready to just cry out and say, it's enough, I've had enough, I can't take anymore. Lord, I pray for that one this morning that you would encourage them. 
But Lord, for those who hear who, who may not have come to that point or that point is in, in the past now, I pray that you would challenge us and encourage us with your word. We need to hear from you this morning, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. It is enough. It's amazing that in the story of Elijah, this is where we've come. This is where we find ourselves, that now he's sitting under a juniper tree and he's ready to die. In fact, he says, Lord, just take my life. It is enough. When we began our study in the life of Elijah, we saw a whole series of incredible miracles that God performed over a very short period of time. We were introduced to Elijah when he stood before King Ahab, the wicked king of Israel, and he looked him in the eye and he said, King Ahab, it's not going to rain until I say so. I say, wow, what a man of courage and strength and spiritual fortitude. And then immediately after that, God came to Elijah and he spoke to him and he said, get to the brook Cherith because I've arranged some ravens, these big birds to fly down and bring you food every day. Isn't that amazing that God would feed him with birds from the sky that would bring food to him every day? And so Elijah arose and he went and God provided for him there until the brook dried up. And then the Lord came to Elijah again and he said, arise, get thee to Zarephath. And so Elijah went to Zarephath because there God had prepared this widow woman, this woman who was literally getting ready to make her very last meal for herself and for her son. And he said, that widow woman's going to provide for you. I've provided for you through her. And so she gave her last meal to Elijah and God made it so that her meal and her oil did not run out and she was able to provide for her family and for Elijah throughout this time of famine. Not only did God do that, but when the widow woman's son got sick and died, the Bible tells us that Elijah prayed and God brought the boy back to life. And that's amazing. It wasn't long after that that God came to Elijah again and told him to get up and to go back and to speak to King Ahab once again. So Elijah did that. In chapter 18, he got up and went back to Ahab and he told Ahab, Meet me at the top of Mount Carmel. Bring all the prophets and priests of Baal, 850 of these guys. And we're going to have a contest to see who the true God, if it's Baal or Jehovah. And we're going to have this sacrifice. We looked at that last Sunday. And we're going to pray. And whichever God sends fire from heaven, that's going to be the true God. And so all the people gathered and Elijah came and the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove. And they made their sacrifice to Baal and they prayed to Baal, they cried out to Baal. The Bible tells us they cut themselves with rocks and with spears and knives. The Bible says they leapt up on the altar trying to get their God to hear them. And Elijah, he, after a while, he decides to mock them a little bit. And he says, what's wrong? Maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe he's gone on a journey. He's on vacation. He could, perhaps he's talking with a friend. You need to cry louder. And the Bible says they cried even louder until finally Elijah, it was his turn. And he took the bullock and he took the wood and he, he made the altar out of the 12 stones there. And he made this sacrifice. And then after he had the sacrifice made, he called them to bring buckets and barrels of water. And they poured it over the sacrifice until it was drenched. And then he bowed and prayed to God. 
And God sent the fire from heaven. And the sacrifice was consumed and the wood was consumed. And the stones and even the water, God burnt it all up. What an amazing God. Elijah goes from a period of incredible spiritual high to now incredible spiritual low. As you look back at the life of Elijah, it seems like every step of the way God provided for him. And God got to see, or Elijah got to see God's amazing power on display in his life. And I think it would be tempting to look at Elijah and say, Wow, I wish that I could experience the things that Elijah had experienced. Boy, if I experienced things like that, I'd be a different person. Boy, I'd be so strong, I'd be able to overcome anything that I'm facing in my life. But the book of James over in the New Testament has a little different perspective for us that's important to consider when it talks about Elijah. Because in chapter 5 and verse 17 of the book of James, it says this, Elijah, or Elias, was a man subject to like passions as we are. You know what that means? He's a normal guy. And the same struggles that you face and that you have are the same kind of struggles that Elijah faced. Elijah experienced the highs and lows of life. As we study the scriptures, we learn that God works with different people in different ways. I think we would all agree with that. God does great miracles with some people while others live very normal, we might even say mundane lives. Some would wish to be like Elijah. But it is here in chapter 19 in the story of Elijah that we realize that our goal is not to be like Elijah, but rather our goal ought to be to learn to trust in Elijah's God. Being like Elijah isn't the answer. Because even Elijah fell. As strong as Elijah was in his walk with God, even Elijah came to a point where he said, It is enough. I've had enough. God is faithful and God does provide. But what will you do? When you come to a point, maybe you're already at that point today, but what will you do when you come to the point where you've had enough and you're ready to quit? I was looking at the CDC's website this week, and right on the front as you're searching things, it said that, this is directly from their website. Four times as many people are experiencing symptoms of depression this year as compared with last year at this time. Three times as many people are showing symptoms of anxiety disorder during the second quarter of this year as compared to the second quarter of last year. The statistics are shocking because we're talking like a third 
to sometimes even close to half the population, depending on how their surveys were done, are struggling with depression, discouragement, anxiety. And we could all probably fill in the list of all the reasons that we're feeling those things. Your list may be a little different than my list. But if we're honest, I think we all have a list of why we've maybe had some struggles this year. And maybe not just this year, but all the time. We're still in the midst of one of the most polarizing elections in our memory. There are those dealing with the potential for increased lockdowns and fear, struggling with the loss of friends and loved ones that has taken place for many. Many are dealing with the political, social, economic, and spiritual fallout of the events of this year. And I can only guess that many of you at some point this year or some point in the near future will come to a point where you will say, it's enough. I've had enough. I've had enough of the lies. I've had enough of the fears. I've had enough of the questions. I've had enough of spiritual weakness. I've had enough of political fights. I've had enough of the unknown. You might even say, I've had enough of people. You know, there's a joke sometimes that pastors tell to one another. They say, you know, ministry would be great if you didn't have any people. But the truth is this, if you had no people, you'd have no ministry. Sometimes we look around and say, boy, my life would be better if I didn't have to deal with all these people. If I didn't have to go through these things, if the country were in a different situation, if my job was in a different situation, if my family could just deal with their drama and stop bringing it to me, if I didn't have to deal with these financial pressures and physical struggles, then it would be good, then it would be okay. The reality is, I think if you're honest this morning, we all come to places in our life where we say, it is enough. Is that where you are today, where you just, it's enough. I don't think I can take anymore. I've had all that I can bear. That's where Elijah was. He said, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. I'd like to make a few points to you this morning, and here's the first one. It's this, spiritual struggle and even depression are potential realities for every believer. I think sometimes there are certain people that get an idea in their mind. Maybe you've lived long enough, so you're past this in your life. So if you're past this, just listen for those who may still have some growth to do in their own personal maturity. But I think sometimes, and maybe this is just the youth and idealism, I don't know, but we can tend to think, well, if I just was strong enough spiritually, I would never have any struggles. I'm just going to be able to get to this point in my life where I've just arrived. I've made it to that point 
and all that struggle is going to be in my past, and I'm not going to have to deal with it anymore. I'm just on the cusp. I'm just on the edge of spiritual victory where there's no more struggle, no more issues. I think to believe that way is to believe a lie because I would say if Elijah struggled, you're going to struggle too. No amount of spiritual victory will make you immune to spiritual struggle. Now, I'm not saying we're not looking for spiritual victory. We always are. We want to draw closer to the Lord. But the closer you get to God, it doesn't mean that all the struggle goes away. Elijah spoke fearlessly before King Ahab. In fact, in 1 Kings 17 and verse 13, Elijah told the widow woman at Zarephath, he said, don't be afraid. Do you remember what he was asking her to do? He was saying, give me your last meal. Don't feed it to yourself and your son. Give it to me. Trust God. Give me your last meal. Don't be afraid. And now who's afraid? Elijah is. See, there are probably some of you in this room, maybe some listening online who at a point in your life you've come to spiritual strength and you've been an encouragement, you've been a challenge, you've been a help to others. But you may now be at a place in your own life where you say, I used to tell people not to be afraid. Now I'm the one that's afraid. I, I used to have spiritual victory. Now I'm the one that's struggling. Elijah, in fact, back just in chapter 18, had just demonstrated that the false gods that Jezebel was proclaiming would help her to kill Elijah, he had just proven those false gods to be false. They had prayed to Baal all day and no fire came from heaven, but when they prayed to Jehovah, he sent the fire. And now Jezebel says, well, in the name of the gods, you know, I, I, the gods do to me and more... Also, if I don't make you like one of these priests of Baal that you've just killed. Elijah came to that place, even though through all the spiritual victory, and he said, it is enough. I can't take it anymore. No amount of spiritual victory will make you immune to spiritual struggle. And I would say this too, no amount of past provision can make you immune to present threats. You may have experienced some victory. You say, I, I've seen God do some great things. Realize you're still susceptible to struggle. You may have seen God provide in some amazing ways. You're still susceptible to the present threats. What had God provided? Well, He had provided with the ravens. He had provided with the widow. He had provided with the fire, he even provided with the rain. But Elijah's focus in this moment, in chapter 19 of 1 Kings, his focus was on his present circumstances, not on God's past provision. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you have walked with God long enough in your life or you're learning to walk with God and you've seen God do some wonderful things. But whatever it is that you're facing right now has made you forget about all of that. Because all you see is your present circumstance. I think it's interesting that Elijah, in, in the end of verse 4, he says, For I am not better than my fathers. 
Perhaps as Elijah was standing before Ahab, as he was eating the food brought to him by the ravens, as he was seeing the widow's meal and her oil continue to refill every day so that they had food to eat, and when God sent fire from heaven at his prayer, perhaps Elijah felt like, I'm going to be able to do something that others before me were unable to do. I'm going to be able to take a stand. I'm going to be able to walk by faith. I'm going to be able to do some things that others haven't been able to do. But when it came down to it, he acknowledged, I'm no better than my father's. I think sometimes we look at other people and say, well, I can, I can walk with God more than that other person did. I, I can at least do better than that person. We, lo we look at those around us and say, I can overcome. I can be strong enough. I know my parents failed. I know my siblings failed, but I can stand and I'm going to stand and I'm going to make it because I'm strong enough. And Elijah here, he acknowledged, he wasn't strong enough. He said, it is enough. You can't grow enough to never have spiritual struggle. The answer ultimately is not that you just need to be stronger, but the answer is to return to the one who is enough. You will never be enough, but God is enough. Life gets hard when Queen Jezebel's threats seem more real than God's promises. That's where Elijah was. He believed Queen Jezebel more than he believed in God at this moment in time. And it's borne out for us in his response, in his action, because what did he do? He ran. In fact, if you get a map out and you look at where he traveled on this trip, he had been there at the top of Mount Carmel, and then he is traveling, uh, and then he comes off of Mount Carmel down to Jezreel. And when Jezebel threatens him, he takes off running, and he runs all the way down to Beersheba, where he leaves his servant. And then the Bible says he goes another day's journey into the wilderness. And if you look at this on a map, it's literally he's running all the way from sort of the northern middle part of the nation of Israel, clear down to the southernmost tip. He, he runs as far as he can possibly run. I mean, he is traveling fast. He's doing everything he can to get away. It's not like he just sort of, well, let me kind of go around the corner and hide out until Jezebel gets over this. No, he packed up everything he had, and it seems like as fast as he ran to beat Ahab down the mountain and running to get down ahead of the rain is just as fast as he took off running from Jezebel when she threatened him. I have a, I have a map in one of my Bible study books, and it just shows the travels of Elijah's. He went to Cherith, and he went up to Zarephath, and then he came down to where Mount Carmel is. And then you just see this long straight line. There's Elijah. He's heading down to Beersheba. He took off running with his proverbial tail between his legs. He was scared because in that moment, the threats of Jezebel seemed far more real than the presence and promises of God. And Christian... Today, you may look around you and see the threats of this world, whether it's the sin, the unbelief, the struggle, the financial pressure, the physical struggle, the family situation. 
that you're facing, and it may feel a lot more real and a lot more powerful than God. You may be working as hard as you can to do the best that you can and still feel like you can't succeed. You may feel like Elijah saying, well, I'm, I'm no better than those who have gone before. I tried. I tried to go a little further. But you've come to that point. You say, it is enough. So point number one, spiritual struggle and even depression are potential realities for every believer. Number two, I want you to notice how God ministers to Elijah in the middle of his struggle. Because it says in verse 5, And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. He's sitting there under this juniper tree. He's just run as far as he can get away from Jezebel. He sits down. He falls asleep. The angel comes up, wakes him up, says, Get up, eat. I've got some food for you. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head, and he did eat and drink and laid him down again. Verse 7, And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. Spiritual struggle Yes, even depression are potential realities for every believer. So when somebody is struggling spiritually, if this is you struggling spiritually, don't underestimate the physical needs that need to be met during a spiritual struggle. I think it's very instructive to us that in the midst of his unbelief, in the midst of his depression and his discouragement in his fear as he's running from Queen Jezebel when the Lord comes to Elijah there under the juniper tree the first thing the Lord does is minister to his physical needs what does God do well he gave him food gave him water and then he let him go back to bed. And then he fed him again. And then he reminded Elijah that he needed to depend on the Lord. He said, the journey is too great for thee. When you are struggling spiritually, don't forget the importance of taking care of your physical needs. Eat, sleep. Stay hydrated. Before God began to deal with the spiritual struggle, He encouraged and strengthened Elijah physically. One of my Bible teachers used to say it this way, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. It doesn't sound very spiritual. This is not talking about being lazy and just sleeping all the time. Rather, to say, when you're in the midst of a struggle, sometimes you've got to deal with some of those physical needs so that you can even begin to listen and to hear to deal with the spiritual struggle. 
you may not be ready to begin dealing with the spiritual struggle if physically you're completely depleted. Elijah had come to this point. He said, it is enough. When you are at the end of yourself, you must get the physical rest and sustenance that your body needs. This is so important for us, I think, even as a church to think about. Because when someone is struggling, when they're depressed, when they're discouraged, when they're afraid, often they, like Elijah, run far away and hide. And they're nowhere to be found. And sometimes those who are even gathered here, like we are on a Sunday morning, could look around and go, I wonder where they are. Well, they may just be out of town. They might just be sick. Or they might be discouraged and need somebody to encourage them. It can be a challenge to minister to those who are hurting because you don't always see them around. And as a church, it's so important to learn to Look for people, not just for the people who are here, but for those who aren't here. To be able to minister to those in your neighborhood that you see out and about, they're out front, they're working in their yard, and minister to those that may never come out of their house. I'm so thankful that God ministered to Elijah's physical needs. And as he ministered to him the first time, gave him food and water, Elijah ate it and then he just went right back to sleep. Understand this, when you're ministering to somebody who's struggling like Elijah was, they may not always be super thankful or responsive to you. You may come like God did to Elijah and bring this meal to them. And think, well, look what I just did for you. I, I brought you a meal, Brother Lewis. Aren't you thankful? And Lewis just says, no, I, I'm going back to bed, right? If you're, if you're struggling like that, that's a normal response. And I think the spiritual response is not to be frustrated if somebody were to do that to you, but rather just to go back and continue to minister to them. Because that's what they need. When you're dealing with somebody who's struggling spiritually if you yourself are struggling spiritually it, you're not always able to overcome whatever it is you're dealing with in an instant it doesn't always go away right away does it sometimes those feelings come back sometimes they work almost in waves and it's more and more and more just building and building so when you go to minister to somebody in that situation or if you yourself find yourself in that situation and others are ministering to you realize it may take time you may eat the meal, drink the drink, and then go right back to bed. And I think for us as a church and for us as believers ministering to others, we shouldn't take that as, well, they don't ever want to see me again. Just to say they're having a hard time. And I might be in the same place at some point because none of us is immune. So I'm going to keep ministering. I'm going to keep encouraging. I'm going to keep helping and ministering, even if it's just to their physical needs. Because as God ministered to his 
physical needs, the Lord then had opportunity to minister better to his spiritual needs. But there are many cases, I believe, where we miss out on the spiritual ministry opportunity because we're not willing to go through the maybe arduous or even frustrating or uh, difficult process of trying to minister to somebody's physical needs. Because when you're ministering to somebody who's struggling, they're not always very thankful. They, they may not respond well. They may not even want to talk to you. They might take what you give them and just go right back to bed. But that shouldn't be an excuse for us to Christians say, well, clearly they don't care, so I'm just going to go. They're struggling. When you're sick, you need somebody to help you. Don't underestimate physical needs during a spiritual struggle. But I want you to look with me now really to the last big chunk here of this story. Because we see, number three, the answer for the spiritual struggle is found with the Lord. Sometimes the physical and the spiritual get all wrapped up together, so there needs to be physical ministry going on, and then that gives an open door to the spiritual ministry. I think it's good to lead many times with the physical ministry because it's a way to encourage somebody who's just weak or tired. Maybe it's literally as as simple as seeing another uh, family in the church and saying, hey, we'll take your kids for an evening. Hey, we'll watch your family so that you can have a break. Hey, we'll come over and help you cut your grass. Hey, we'll come and do some grocery shopping for you. Hey, we'll do something so that you can have a break, so that you can take a bath, so that you can do something that you need to do. Sometimes it's as simple as that. Sometimes it's more involved, right? of going and bringing something to somebody who's shut down and closed in and doesn't want to see anybody. But the answer to his spiritual struggle was found with the Lord. Verse 9 says, And he came, this is Elijah, came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? It's interesting to me because God asks Elijah two questions and Elijah responds two times. But the questions that God asks him are identical. He asks him the same question twice. And then Elijah's response to God is the same both times. Here's the first question, which is the same as the second question. What doest thou hear, Elijah? And notice Elijah's answer, verse 10. And he said... I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Now there's some very important things to notice in this statement that Elijah makes. He, he spends a lot more time talking about himself. Then he does talking about the Lord. I, even I, and me and my, and I've done all this. Look at what I've done for you, God. That's indicative of somebody who's struggling. He's very inward focused at this point. Also, he neglects to talk about all the things that God had done. As you read the statement, well, Elijah, what about the fire that fell from heaven? Elijah, what about the widow at Zarephath that fed you? Elijah, what about the ravens that brought you food? 
To me, this goes back to point number one. None of us is immune to spiritual struggle. Past provision doesn't make you immune from present spiritual threats. You can't just look at somebody and say, well, what's your problem? I mean, look at the past. You had all this provision. God was so good to you. Why are you struggling now? To act like that is a very prideful thing because it's like saying, well, what's your problem? Why are you struggling? I would never struggle if I had all that provision that you had. That is a selfish, self-focused, and not a biblical way of looking at problems. Rather, it's a me focus that says, if you were as strong as I was, if you were just strong enough, if you had enough faith, you could overcome. Get with the program. See, Elijah's struggling here. God says, what are you doing here? Why are you in this place? You may look at your own life this morning and say, what happened? How did I end up here? I mean, all this stuff just out of my control, right? You say, well, I had no control over the virus. I had no control over what my boss does. I had no control over what happens in our country. I have no control over these things. How did we end up here? And this is like Elijah saying, all this stuff happened. All this persecution came. They killed all the prophets. They did all these things. And I, oh, I was over here by myself trying to serve God, trying to do the right thing. And he's just struggling. We can look at this objectively and say, well, your focus is wrong, Elijah. But I think we need to be honest and say, we tend to do the same thing. When we're struggling, it all of a sudden becomes about us and all the things that we've been through and how difficult it is and how much we've tried. And this is not a reason to look down on somebody. I think this is just instructive for us because when you hear somebody going on like this, we tend to get really self-righteous, don't we? And start looking at them and going, yeah, yeah, they're struggling again. Yeah, they're just, they're dealing with stuff. I don't know what their problem is. And we give such trite, silly answers like, well, they ought to just come to church more. Well, we all ought to come to church more. That doesn't fix all your problems, does it? Well, they probably just aren't reading their Bible enough. I've met some people who struggle with depression and areas in this life that read their Bibles probably more than anybody in this room. See, there's no amount of spiritual victory that exempts you from spiritual struggle. There's no amount of past provision. Wow, look at all these amazing things. Look at the power of God on display that makes you just so spiritually super that you're never going to deal with struggle. And I think it's good for us to admit that. Not because we need to wallow in self-pity, but rather to admit our weakness and our frailty and our shortcomings so we can look to the one who truly has the answers. Instead of trying to go around pretending like we've just got it all together. If you just walked with God as long as I had, you wouldn't have these problems. Son, you'll learn, right? No. It's so funny to me, in the last two or three weeks, I've had several conversations about this with different people. Maybe it's just I'm getting that much closer to 40. I don't know what it is, but 
people keep coming up to me. I've had two different people come up to me in the last two weeks and say, I mean, aren't you getting to a point where you kind of feel like you've arrived and you're ready to go on to the next thing? Can I just, you know, we'll be interactive here for a moment. If you're 50, are you feeling like you've arrived, like you've just hit it? If you're in your 50s, 60s, anybody? I'm looking for the crew that's arrived. 70s, 80s? Where's it at? 100, 120? How? See, I don't think as a believer we arrive till we get to heaven. And if we think it's going to happen before that, we're, we've got our eyes on the wrong thing. I'm just going to get here and then I'm not going to struggle anymore. Now, the Lord is good. There, there's, I think, many evidence in His Word that we can work through different situations and struggles and God may give us victory in that area, but that doesn't mean it exempts us from every other area of struggle. I'm not saying you are just doomed <laughs> to your struggle in that one particular area and you're never going to get through it. No, God's grace is sufficient. God is strong. God is helpful. God can help you get victory over addictions and victory over pain and, and victory over past hurts and abuse. God can help you through those things. But it doesn't exempt you from all the other areas of struggle. He asked Elijah what he was doing in that place. You know, previously, Elijah had gone where God commanded him to go. God said, go to the brook, and he went. God said, go to Zarephath, and he went. God said, go to Ahab, and he went. God didn't say, get up and run from Jezebel in fear, but that's where he went. And I think perhaps that's why God is asking him this question, not one time, but two times. Elijah, what doest thou here? What are you doing in this place? How did you get here? Elijah answered by talking about all that he had done for the Lord. You can't do enough for the Lord to overcome all your problems. The answer to spiritual struggle is not just doing more for the Lord, but resting in the goodness and grace of what God has done for you. Notice what happens next, because in verse 11, God says to Elijah, He says, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great... And strong wind rent the mountains. He, he broke the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. I mean, remember God was in the fire when He sent it from heaven. God was doing all these things. But now in the wind, in the earthquake, the fire, the Lord's not in that. After the earthquake, a fire, verse 12. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. God showed His power to Elijah. He showed His power in the wind, in the earthquake, in the fire, but God was not in those things. God's presence was in the still, small voice. I would say it this way. Elijah had to learn to rest in God's presence even when he didn't see or experience God's power. Prior to this in Elijah's life, in this process of spiritual growth, as he's growing with the Lord, as God is working on him, as God is using him to fulfill his purpose, each time God did something special, it was always accompanied with some tremendous, powerful thing. Sending ravens with food, making the meal and the oil not run out, 
sending fire from heaven. You say, it'd be easy to trust God when you see those display, power on display like that. It's challenging, isn't it, to trust God when you don't see these mighty acts of power on display. And you may be looking around at our world right now like I am and going, all right, God, what are you doing? Where are you? What's going on? All right, God, bring the fire, right? Oh, let's go, right? Listen, just because you don't see or experience God's power on display doesn't mean that His presence isn't still there. Because God doesn't always work through mighty displays of power. Often He speaks and works in quiet, unassuming ways. And there's a sense where growing in your own life to learn to just rest and listen and pray and hear the still, small voice of God can be one of the most comforting and helpful things because we live in a world where there's lots of chaos. There's lots of noise. Sometimes God doesn't need to be louder than all the noise out there. Sometimes He's very still and small and quiet. Learning to rest in the presence of God even when you don't see the power of God on display. God asked Elijah what he was doing in that place a second time. Elijah answered the same as before. Lord, I was doing all these things for you and they brought this persecution. You know, I, I think maybe some of you have experienced this. Either you're going through a difficult time or somebody that you know very well is going through a difficult time and you try to talk to them, you try to point them towards the truth and they just want to argue with you about all these other things and you're like, you're missing the point. What's wrong with you? I'm thankful that God didn't get frustrated with Elijah and give up on him. We tend to. But what did God do? God directed Elijah where to go and what to do. He began to give Elijah simple, step-by-step -step instructions of what to do next. Look with me at the passage. It says, verse 15, And the Lord said to him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. Elijah had come to the point he was running and he had stopped. And now God says, all right. I'm not done with you, Elijah. I have some things I need for you to do. Go to Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall, come, it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. You see the significance of that played out later on in the story. We're not going to cover that this morning. But notice verse 18. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. God began to give Elijah simple step-by-step -step instructions of where he wanted him to go and what he wanted him to do. I'm encouraged by this, that God sent Elijah to continue his work. And I would encourage you with this thought this morning. You may come to a place, you may already be at the place, where you're ready to say, it's enough! 
I've had enough. I'm done. But if you're still here, God's not done with you yet. He wasn't done with Elijah yet. That's why he came to him and said, go. I need you to go anoint this guy and go anoint this guy. And oh, by the way, you're going to meet up with another guy named Elisha. And he's going to be your helper. He's going to be a prophet in your room. And boy, it's amazing what God did through Elisha, wasn't it? But see, if you're Elijah at this point, you don't even know Elisha. You're just struggling. And if you're struggling this morning, you feel like you're at the end. This is it. I've had enough. I don't know if I can make it another day, week, month. I can't deal with another year like this year. Well, you probably can't, and I probably can't in my own strength. But you can with the Lord. And if God still has you here, He's not done with you yet. When you're dealing with somebody and trying to encourage them when they're struggling, don't forget the physical needs and minister to those. But as you begin to minister to the spiritual needs, you may feel like they're missing the point and they're struggling, they're arguing with you, they're, 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 they're all over the place. I would encourage you, if you're struggling or if you're helping someone who is struggling, take them back to the simple step-by-step instructions of what God wants you to do. Because you may look around and you say, I don't know what to do with all this big stuff. But God's Word is very clear on the day-by-day, step-by-step way that we all ought to be living for Him. God's Word is very clear about what obedience to Him looks like. I don't know what to do about this big thing. Obey God step-by-step in the little thing. The Lord says this. Sometimes this is applied to finances, but I think this can be applied to all areas of life. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. You may be stuck. You may be shut down. You may be discouraged like Elijah was. Go back to the Word of God. God, what are just... I can pray. I can read your Word. I can... I can confess my sin. You've said if we'll confess my sin, you're faithful and just to forgive me. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Learning to trust God in the step-by-step is a great way to begin to learn to trust God in the big leaps of faith. God directed him step-by-step and then God reminded Elijah that he still had 7,000 that hadn't bowed the knee to Baal. One of the ways that the devil loves to push down on us is to isolate us. It's been one of the struggles of this past year for people. People have been isolated. People have been separated. People haven't been able to be with loved ones. I was reading the other day. I don't know if this is how it's going to come to be, but in the state of California, they were saying, you, you can't even get together with your family over more than a couple, pe- couple families for Thanksgiving. And if it is, it's got to be outside. You can't sing. can't do this. can't do that. We're living in a world that is working hard to isolate, to separate. It's happening in churches, right? Stay away. 
Stay safe. Stay apart. I'm so thankful that God still has his thousands that haven't bowed their knee. That's one of the blessings of coming together. And we can come together safely. And we should. It's okay to exercise caution and not be foolish. But isn't it a blessing to be together with God's people? And to know that you're not the only one left. You may feel like it at home when you're watching the news. Your spiritual life will greatly improve if you just turn the TV off. Just let you know that. It's not helping you. Not helping. So when you come to the point in your life where you say, it is enough. Know that God is enough to get you through everything you face. Sometimes the threats of Queen Jezebel will feel more real than the promises and presence of your Heavenly Father. And I want to just give you four simple points here in summary at the end. Because, and this may be for you in your own personal life, this may be to help you help somebody else, or it may be for both. I encourage you to write these down and think about it. Some of this we've already covered. Just try to put it all together. Number one, take care of your physical needs. Take care of your physical needs. As we continue to go through the next days and weeks and months, years, whatever it has, you need to eat properly. You need to sleep properly. You need to take care of yourself and you need to take care of those around you. And I would encourage you as a church family, and you already do such a good job with this, look for others in the body who may need some encouragement and help in this area. Maybe it's taking a meal to them. I know it costs a little more, but nowadays you can even send a meal to somebody. Maybe, as I mentioned earlier, it's helping somebody with their children or helping an elderly person with something so that they can get to a doctor's office or so that they can get a break. And my wife even says it's a break to go to the grocery store if she's not taking five kids. But take care of your physical needs and look for ways to minister to the physical needs of others. We have people in our church family right now that are hurting over the loss of loved ones. Look for opportunities to minister to them. Lord willing, we're going to have a new baby born this week. More physical needs. Some are just discouraged. Their finances are tight. Taking them a meal. Taking somebody out to eat. These aren't big things, but it's learning to live with your eyes open to see the needs of those around you and see the needs of those who are here and the needs of those who aren't here. Pick up the phone and call somebody. Encourage them. Write them a note. Take care of your physical needs. Number two, rest in God's presence even when you don't see or feel God's power. Well, how do I do that? To me, it just goes back to reading and meditating on the promises of God and what He's done. Often, though, you've got to be in a place like Elijah had to be where you get quiet.
quiet and still so that you can rest like this. Again, if your TV's blaring, if you're scrolling through your phone, if you're running this way and that way and you're not taking care of those physical needs, you're probably not going to be in a place where you can rest in the presence of God. It's almost like you're going to need God to just come and slap you on the side of the head and say, here I am. Get to places in your life, whatever you got to do, where you can be still and hear the voice of God. That feels kind of personal. <laughs> we don't like to be still, do we? I run around, be busy, do this, do that. And when that all gets taken away, what happens? People get depressed and discouraged, want to give up. The answer is not get busier, do more. The answer is rest in the Lord. Number three, obey God's clear direction in His Word. Right, Those simple step-by-step -step things that God has given in His Word for how we are to be living our lives every day. And you can encourage somebody else in that too, right? As you, whether it's discipling them and teaching them for the first time, or just you see somebody struggling and say, Hey, I, I, I'm going to read through the book of uh, Proverbs this month. Would you like to read it through with me? Let's read a chapter a day. And I'll call you each day to see if you've, what you read and, and you call me and I'll let you know what I read and what are you doing you're helping to encourage somebody to do those step-by-step -step simple things that God has said in his word for spiritual growth and success hey I'm going to be praying for you every day this month share with me a couple of things I can be praying for and I'm going to do that right the, these are just the kind of ways that you can do this for yourself but you can also help somebody else in this process too and then Number four, find godly friends. That goes right along with what I was just saying there on number three. Find godly friends to encourage and challenge you along the way. And don't wait till you're in the struggle to find those friends. Now, if you're in that struggle this morning, I want you to know you found a place of friends. We want to help you. But if you're not struggling today, don't wait until you are to go find those people that are going to help you. Start work to develop those relationships now. Praying for one another, encouraging one another, building those connections and communications so that when you do face that difficult time or when they face that difficult time, you already know where you're going to go. You already know who you're going to call. That's one of the reasons we spend so much time talking about it. We give out certificates and we buy books and we do all these things about making disciples and discipleship. It's not just some program that we want to just kind of keep running in our church because we think it's a good program. We think it ought to be an underlying philosophy of building those connections and relationships among our people so that they grow together and they grow toward God. Find godly friends to encourage and challenge you along the way. I'm really thankful for 1 Kings 19 in the story of Elijah. Because it's one of those, it's, it's not near as exciting as chapter 18. But boy, it's so instructional for our daily life, isn't it? And I hope over the next coming weeks as more things come out about our elections this past week or as more things happen, maybe people with their health issues, maybe you will go through some great loss in your life, some difficulty, 
Or you even go through some really high moment. Wow, look, I got a raise. Work is great. You know, something happened. Whatever it is, learn to rest in God's presence. God is good. And he's faithful. And we need to learn to walk with him. I say we because I need to just as much as you. I'm not standing up here because I'm the spiritual giant. You may look at me and think I'm a giant. I'm thankful for the opportunity to stand before you and challenge you from God's word. But God has challenged me with this. I need this. I need to walk with God like this. I'm striving to walk with God like this. And I invite you to do that with me as well. Not for our glory, but for His. Not because we have all the answers, but because He does. When you come to those points in your life where you say, It is enough. Know that God is always more than enough. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for the example of your faithful, loving kindness and care to your servant, Elijah. It is here in this passage that we clearly see that you are not just here to use people up and then throw them away and move on to the next person. But rather you love every single one of us. And there are many difficult times that come in life and in our walk with you. But Lord, you promised to be with us. You were with Elijah even when he was running from Jezebel as hard as he could. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for ministering to us. Thank you for your ministry to us this morning through your word and through your Holy Spirit. Pray that now during this time of invitation, you would continue to move on hearts. Lord, there may be somebody here that has never trusted you as Savior. I pray that today they would turn to you in faith, knowing that you have the power to forgive sin and to give them eternal life. And you also have the power to help them each step of the way. Lord, I pray for those that know you this morning but are struggling. They may be near the point of saying it is enough. I pray that they would come and lay that burden back on you this morning and trust that you are enough to give them the strength that they need. Lord, that they won't have the strength to overcome, but you will overcome in your strength and they can rest in you. And Lord, I pray that we would be a church that looks for those who are hurting and struggling and in need of a heavenly father. And we would point others towards you and minister to them in their need. In Jesus' name I pray.